0: Our scripture passage for today comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13-17. through Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, now we ask that your grace and your mercy would be upon us as we have another week pass by in this season of COVID-19 and with so much going out in the world, Lord, we need your grace and we need your mercy to be upon us. Father, we ask that you would encourage us and that you would equip us with all that we need so that we would be ready to go out into the world as your people representing you, representing your kingdom, Lord, just really representing the gospel well. Father, would you help us to truly listen with ready hearts, open minds, and hands and feet ready to do the work that is inspired by the gospel story. We pray now that you'll bless this message in spite of the one who brings it, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So uh, apparently there's a trendy statement going around right now, and I'm sure all of you young, cool folk already know of it, but for those of you who don't, don't worry, I'm about to reveal it to you. It's a statement that goes like this, be informed, not influenced. Apparently it's circulating everywhere, whether you're talking about the latest promo on Newsy, or the latest hit t-shirt from an obscure artist named Malinated High Priestess, or even on the latest sermon title of one of those trendy churches because they have such trendy names like The Movement. But in whatever context in which you may or may not have heard this statement, it is one which I believe we need to heed. Why? Well, I think it's obvious to all of us by now that in light of all the things that we're being bombarded with on social media, on the news, it's pretty clear. People are not getting informed, rather they're getting influenced. And what I mean by that is people are blindly accepting things as gospel truth when in reality they're just the prejudices, the biases, the opinions of other people. Regardless of whatever topic we're talking about. COVID-19, the economy, the presidential election, racism in America. We just completely swallow and take in without critically assessing whether or not the things that we are being told are actually true. And the consequences of this kind of influence is that it creates a society that's becoming more and more polarized where people on either side of an issue have nothing but just critical and condemning attitude towards the other side where all they want to do is cancel the other. And one of the questions that we Christians need to ask is, as part of the body of Christ, as part of the church who is called by our God to be a blessing to the world, is how do we engage this polarized society without getting sucked into the polarity, without choosing one side or the other? And it's that in mind that we have to circle back to that statement I started out with. Be informed, not influenced. I really like that. Because it really captures this idea that God calls us to really know what's going on rather than simply blindly accepting what other people say is really going on. Or if I could put it another way, we are called by our God to develop true convictions while at the same time understanding other people's convictions without simply adopting them as our own. Okay, And the way we do that is by being what we are calling being an informed community. It's something that God calls all churches everywhere to be, which is why it's part of our vision statement. Yeah, remember that, the vision statement? We haven't talked about it in quite a while. And so to give you a quick refresher, here it is again. Take a listen. NCF exists to grow up in the gospel in order to go out with the gospel through members that flourish Queens, New York City, the world, and the next generation by wisely engaging the culture to promote an informed and inviting community of Jesus. And there it is. That word right in the middle of that statement, informed. God calls his people to be informed and to be making up a community that is informed. But of course that begs the question, what exactly do we mean when a community is informed and how exactly do we pull it off as the church well that is the question that the Apostle Peter is gonna answer for us as we take a look at first Peter chapter 3 verses 13 to 17 and as we take a look at this text we're gonna see three things that Peter wants us to keep in mind so that we can create a community made up of men and women who are informed that not only are blessing one another but blessing the people who are outside of the church as well so three things I'd like to share with you today first We're going to talk about the need to be in an informed community. Then we're going to talk about the requirements of being an informed community. And finally, we're going to end it with the courage to be an informed community. The need to be an informed community. The requirements of being an informed community. And finally, the courage to be an informed community. Let's start off with the first point, the need to be an informed community. Let's go back to our passage. We're starting in verse 13. The Apostle Peter writes these words. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Pause right there. Your attention, please. Here, Peter wants to inform his church. Two truths that he wants to make sure that they really understand, and really understand to the full. The first truth is what he says in verse 13, where he states in question form this idea that if you seek to live an upright as well as a decent life, no one is going to bother you, or as he puts it, no harm will come upon you. Here, Peter is simply echoing the biblical idea, the biblical teaching known as reaping what you sow reaping what you sow, you see it scattered throughout the pages of scripture, most poignantly in the book of Proverbs. Take a listen to a sampling of the following. Proverbs 11 reads this, your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. If you search for good, you will find favor, but if you search for evil, it will find you. Proverbs 14, the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Finally, Proverbs 22, whoever sows injustice reaps calamity and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. Over and over, the Bible teaches and life confirms that what goes around comes around. What you give is what you're eventually going to get. What you reap is what you sow. And Peter, being the loving pastor that he is, wants to make sure that his flock fully understands that truth. And yet, it's in that same spirit of pastoral love that Peter also wants to make sure that this first truth that he just told them doesn't blind them to another secondary truth that they need to be aware of. And what is that? It's this. Sometimes, many times, you will reap what you did not sow. I draw your attention back to verse 3. He says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. What's he saying here? Well, I kind of already told you. You sometimes reap what you did not sow. Or if I could put it another way, sometimes you will suffer things that you don't deserve to suffer. And I don't think this is something I need to convince any of you of as being true. Because we know that sometimes, many times, good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. I mean, this is so blatantly obvious that it almost doesn't need to be said. Which therefore begs the question, why does Peter go out of his way to state what is so blatantly obvious well because peter is trying to make a point here a point where he is well aware of a common flaw in the human condition and that flaw goes like this even though you and i know things that are obviously true so often we live our lives at this as if those truths are patently false let me explain what i mean one of the most sobering warnings that Jesus ever gave the church is the one that's recorded in John 15. Because there Jesus tells his followers, which includes all of us today, Christians today, is that the world is against him. The world is against our God, which therefore means the world is against him all of us who profess faith in Jesus and the primary way in which the world expresses its antithesis its animosity its antagonism towards us is by ensuring that unjust suffering comes upon our lives whether you're talking about social stigma cultural repression political persecution which by the way is still happening right now places like in Nigeria, North Korea, China, the Middle East let it be known Christian That as you walk in this world, in the shoes that you're in, as a follower of Christ, you will suffer unjust suffering. But here's what's so odd. What we see so often in the church, especially the church in America, is the minimization or even flat out denial of this truth. So many Christians today, especially in the United States, go out of their way to portray themselves as if they are fundamentally no different to the principles, to the priorities, and to the preferences of the world. Okay? In other words, so many Christians today try to live as if their faith really doesn't make them any different to the people around them. Now, on the one hand, it's understandable why people would do this, okay, because they don't want to be associated with those crazy, radical fundamentalists who twist the word of God and so forth to where they justify atrocious social systemic evils. And yet, on the other hand, they don't want to be associated with those crazy progressives who also twist the word of God and subhandedly promote secular atheists, maybe even liberal ideals, you see. And as a result, you have people who profess to be Christians and yet they promote certain values that Scripture would not. Whether you're talking about racism, abortion, socialism, capitalism... You know, same-sex marriage, patriarchy, what have you? And so we just say, no, let us not be associated with these kinds of people who live this way. And so they try to disavow to those kinds of people and those kinds of behaviors. But as understandable as all that may be, it completely undermines the essence of what it means to be Christian. What do I mean by that? Consider this quote from theologian Miroslav Miroslav, excuse me, Wolf, who teaches at Yale University. Listen to what he says, quote. Though 1 Peter does not envisage changing social structures, Christians nevertheless have a mission to the world. They should conduct themselves honorably among the Gentiles so that they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. Indeed, the purpose of Christian existence as a whole is to proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The distance from society that comes from the new birth into a living hope does not isolate from society. For hoping God, the creator and savior of the whole world, knows no boundaries. Instead of leading to isolation, this distance is a presupposition of mission. Without distance, churches can only give speeches that others have written for them and only go places where others lead them. To make a difference, one must be different. End quote. What is he saying? He's saying that every Christian is a missionary because every Christian has a mission and the essence of what this mission entails is to be different do you hear christian you and i are called to be different from the principles the priorities and the preferences of the people The world. So, for example, we live in a world that says love things and use people. But Christianity says that we are to love people and use things. We live in a world that says only the strong survive. But Christianity teaches that God protects the weak. We live in a world that says God helps those who help themselves. But Christianity teaches that God saves those who humble themselves. We live in a world that says three strikes and you're out. But Christianity teaches that we are to forgive our neighbor 70 times 7. We live in a world that says you only have value if you produce. But Christianity teaches that you already have value because God produced you in his fatherly love when he made you in his image. Don't you see? To be Christian is to be different. To be unlike the people of the world in terms of how they feel, how they think, how they respond, how they react, how they live. Because think about it for a moment, Christian. Let's say you did not live any differently and you did not think and feel differently from the people of the world. What is to stop the people of the world coming to the conclusion of saying something like, "You know what? The God of the Bible really makes no difference in my life." You know what the answer is? It wouldn't they wouldn't be stopped because nothing would stop them from saying that because it would be absolutely true. The whole point of us being different christian is so that we can convey to the outside world that our god makes a difference you see let me say that again the reason why god calls us to be different is so that we can show to the world that our god makes the most meaningful difference ever and it's only through him and him alone and the only way we can truly be different is if we're properly informed you see This is why we need to be informed, because it's when we are informed that we know how to be different, because it's when we are different that we're able to show the God who makes the biggest difference of all for the better. Which all of this, therefore, begs the question, how exactly do we become informed? What is required of us so that we can be the kind of informed individuals and communities that make a difference for the better in the world? This leads me to my next point, the requirements of being an informed community. One more time, verse 14, but this time a little bit of verse 15. Peter says, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Okay, so here... After first telling us that we need to be an informed community, Peter now goes on to tell us the requirements needed To be an informed community And he says it right there in that statement in verse 15 Being prepared to make a defense You see that word defense? It's the English translation of the Greek word apologia Where we get our word apologetics And for those of you who are not familiar Apologetics is the activity Where a Christian defends their faith From the false charges, false characterizations False critiques that people will have against Christianity Okay, And it's this defensive posture that Peter says how we become informed. It's when we are able to aptly and adequately defend our faith against naysayers that we are informed people. Now, just to make sure that you understand where he's going with this, consider this illustration. Let's say uh, you're into martial arts and you're learning a martial arts, whatever martial arts it may be, whether it's karate, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Kung Fu, Taekwondo, Muay Thai, whatever. One of the things that you're going to realize right away as you start doing this martial art is that you need to constantly train if you want to be effective with it. Because when you constantly train, what happens? You learn all the moves, all the kicks, all the blocks, all the punches, all the locks, and all the positions and postures that you need to have, right? In other words, it's when you are constantly training that you have a comprehensive understanding of the martial art that enables you to be adequately prepared to defend yourself against any threatening opponent. And that is essentially what Peter is saying. In order for you to be properly informed, you need to be able to properly defend your faith, which therefore means you need a comprehensive understanding or what is sometimes known as a worldview. Now, what is a worldview? Consider this definition from theologian Greg Johnson. He says this, quote, A worldview is just what it says. A view or perspective on the world, worldviews are the glasses through which we see and understand or misunderstand the world around us. Everybody has a worldview. We all have ways we look at life and understanding whether right or wrong of our universe. But a worldview is not merely an intellectual commitment, it shapes our souls, moves our affections, colors the way we interpret events, and tells us how we should live, End quote. So a worldview is basically how you understand as well as how you interpret all of reality. And as he just said, every single person has a worldview whether you are a Christian or a non Christian everyone has one and here Peter is telling the Christians that they need to make sure that we have a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview now I know many of you who are watching me right now are making an assumption that you already have one you think uh, pastor I already have a Christian worldview because after all I grew up in the church. I went through Sunday school. I've been involved with multiple Bible studies. I sat under multiple preaching for many, many decades. So, of course, just by exposure of the Christian environment that I grew up in, I have a Christian worldview, right? Well, not necessarily. In her award-winning book, Total Truth, Christian philosopher Nancy Piercy begins her book with the story of a girl named Sarah and sarah is a young professional who works in the bible belt which basically means she grew up going to church in fact sarah identifies herself as a evangelical christian and not just her her co-workers as well what's so interesting about sarah and her coworkers is that every day during lunch hour they don't talk about the latest gossips on social media they don't even rave about the latest binge watching shows that they have on netflix actually what they do is they gather together and they talk about what they learned at church, what podcasts they're listening to, as well as what latest curriculum their children's Sunday school are doing. Okay? Sorry about that. <laughs> and that's what Sarah is. That's her profile. But here's what's so odd about Sarah and her coworkers. They all work at a Planned Parenthood clinic how in the world can you explain a person who identifies themselves as evangelicals working for an institution that evangelicals have always saw as their cultural opponents consider how nancy piercy explains she writes this quote so how did sarah end up working at planned parenthood and referring women for abortion something happened to sarah when she went off to college There she was immersed in the liberal relativism taught on most campuses today. In courses on sociology, anthropology, and philosophy, it was simply assumed that truth is culturally relative and that ideas and beliefs emerge historically by cultural forces and are not true or false in any final sense. And Christianity? It was treated as irrelevant to the world of scholarship. In a class on moral philosophy, the professor presented every possible theory for existentialism to utilitarianism, but never said a word about Christian moral theory, even though it's been the dominant religion all throughout Western history, Sarah recalled. It was, through, it was as though Christianity were so irrational, it didn't even merit being listed alongside the other moral theories, end quote. What's the moral to the story? The moral to the story is simply just because you grew up going to church doesn't necessarily mean that you actually have a Christian worldview. No, the only way to which you can have an actual Christian worldview is to do what Peter says we are to do. He says what? Prepare to make a defense. Prepare to make a defense. That word prepare is very enlightening, folks, because he's using the word the way we would use it in a sentence like preparing for an exam. What are you doing when you're preparing for an exam? You're studying. You're learning, right? You're cracking the books. You're acquiring new knowledge. And this is what is required, Christian, if you and I want to be part of a community made up of individuals that are informed. We need to start using our minds, okay? We need to take seriously the command that God has given us to love him with all of our strength, yes, all of our souls, all of our hearts, but also all of our minds. It's time to study. It's time to put down the remote, put away the phone, close those fiction novels and those glossy magazines, and to start opening the scriptures, listening to lectures and sermons that talk about relevant cultural issues from a biblical perspective. That is how we develop a Christian perspective on all of life. Do you have a Christian perspective on racism? Do you have a Christian perspective on abortion? Do you have a Christian perspective of politics and government? Do you have a Christian perspective of money, sex, and power? If you don't, then what you are inadvertently doing is conveying to the world that your Christian faith, and more specifically, your God, makes no meaningful difference to anyone's life, including your own. Now I know you hear that, and I'm hoping you feel the weight of it. But I also know that as you feel the weight of it, you're also sensing resistance of having to carry it, right? Why? Well, for many reasons, but I bet amongst those various reasons that you have, you also have the reason that Peter alludes to in verse 17. What does he say? For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. What's he talking about? He's talking about the inevitable consequences, what happens when you start trying to live an informed Christian life by living by true biblical convictions with a Christian worldview. You will suffer by the world. You will be mischaracterized. You will be misunderstood. You will be mislabeled. You will be misaligned where people will call you a bigot, a patriarchal, Person, a flaming liberal, a capitalist, a socialist—I mean, they'll go back and forth on what you are, and sometimes it'll be contradicting. And quite honestly, why would you want to deal with that kind of drama, that kind of nonsense, when you already have enough drama and nonsense to last you multiple lifetimes, right? And so you hear this call from Scripture for us to be an informed person, to be part of an informed community, and you just can't find in yourself the courage or the wherewithal to do it and so that leaves us with this dilemma how do we find the desire how do we find the valor how do we find the will to be the informed christian community that god has called us to be well that leads us to the final point the courage to be an informed community read again just the first half of verse 15 with me where peter writes but in your hearts honor christ the lord as holy here peter tells us directly the very means in which we find the strength as well as the fortitude and the courage to become informed Christians that make up an informed community. He says it right there. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And what he essentially means there in a nutshell is that we need to care more about what God thinks of us rather than what the world thinks of us. Okay. I want to remind you of what that word holy literally means. It means to be set apart, to be to be something that is unlike anything or anyone else. So with that in mind, what Peter is really saying in verse 15 is, Honor Jesus unlike anything or anyone else that you honor. Hence, what Peter is saying is, the only acclaim, the only acceptance, as well as the only applause and the only approval you, Christian, should crave and care about the most and exclusively is God's, not the world's, But God's and God's alone, which means if there are people in your life, whether it be your coworkers, your friends from school, your siblings, maybe even your parents, or maybe sadly, even your own child, have resistance and oppose your Christian faith as well as your attempt to be an informed Christian, the only response that you should have towards them is, that's too bad for you. That's too bad for you. I'm sorry. But that's too bad for you. Now, by saying that way, I'm not trying to create this cavalier attitude that you should have towards your loved ones where it's just basically as you do you and I do me. No, no, no. Because look again at what Peter says in the second half of verse 15. He says, make a defense to anyone who asks, right? But yet do it with what? Gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Clearly, we should be concerned in being respectful and kind to those who don't approve or accept our christian convictions as well as our christian world view but the point that peter is trying to make is don't depend on other people to respect you or to be kind to you in order for you to live differently to live an informed christian life that's the main idea that peter says and the only way that can happen is if you truly understand and you truly believe the gospel the gospel because what is the gospel the gospel is the good news that says God came into the world as Jesus Christ so that why he could live differently from everyone else and sure enough he did live differently absolutely he did you know one of the most interesting scenarios that you see happening throughout Jesus's public ministry is when uh, the Jewish people the people of Israel the crowds wanted to make Jesus their king multiple occasions happened where they wanted to coronate Jesus right then and there and acknowledge him as truly the king of Israel. And every time they attempted to do so, Jesus always denied them. He said, no, I'm not going to do it, which is kind of weird because he is their king. right? He truly is the king of Israel. In fact, he's the king of all kings. He's everyone's king. Okay? And so why does Jesus deny them of something that is actually appropriate? Because Jesus knew that their understanding of what a king is, is the complete polar opposite of what a true king is. You see, in their minds, a king has people serving him. But Jesus, the true king, says, No, I came to be the servant of all, seen most preeminently in my willingness to sacrifice my life for my people. Other people will say that a king is the one who should be honored and exalted above everyone else. But Jesus says, no, the true king is willing to be humiliated and shamed for everyone else so that they can be honored and exalted, not because of who they are, but in spite of what they are, because I have forgiven them through my work on the cross. Other people will say the king is the one who beats people down and conquers his enemies. But Jesus, the true king, says, no, I allowed my enemies to conquer me and beat me down so that when they come to understand why I did this, why I permitted them to do that, they will change from being my enemies to being my brothers and sisters. Other people will say the king is the one who takes people's lives away, who resist him. But Jesus, the true king, says, no, I am willing to give my life away so that those who are resisting me will now begin to relish me because they know that I have loved them with forgiving life-transforming, eternal love. See, that is what the gospel is trying to convey. It's trying to convey how different Jesus was for the sake of the world, even though the world ended up killing him for it. In a sense, that is what we need to grasp. When we understand that Jesus was different for us out of his tremendous love for us, that love will give us the inspiration, the strength, as well as the desire to imitate that for the sake of the world, where we're willing to be different for the world's sake, for the world's good, even if the world doesn't recognize it or even appreciates it at the time. This is what it means to be an informed community. It's not about having a know-it-all attitude. It's not about putting people in their place by correcting them and publicly humiliating them. Rather, it's being different for their sake, so that we can point them to the only one who makes the true, most meaningful difference in all of creation. And that's God and God alone. Christian, in this social media fake news era that we are living in, what the world needs from us is not us jumping on the bandwagon that so many do of just blindly parroting back what the experts or what the celebrities or or the popular social groups at the moment are saying. We need to go back what the author of life, the creator of life says. For it's only his word that is authoritative and it is only his word that gave life to those who were dead. Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that is something that you hold on to and grow out of so that you and I, together, collectively, will be the informed community this world desperately needs. I pray that you will take that up, as I take it up with you. Let's pray. Father, we ask that in the midst of so much going on with the latest news bites and the latest uh, Twitter trends, God, we pray that we will not succumb to just simply just blindly accepting or approving things that are claiming to be true, without first considering what your holy word says father you call us to be the people of the book you call us to be people who are grounded in your word and father we understand now why that is so necessary it is so that we could truly be informed on how to be different in such a way that we convey to the world that you make the only difference that is worth having god i pray for our church i pray for churches everywhere that we would truly embody this mission that he'd given all of us to fulfill. We cannot do it on our own strength. We need the love of God through Jesus Christ to fuel and to inspire this to happen. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will do that now. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen.